Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for episode 27? Is that that about right there? Yeah, 27, almost 30. Hey, um, I was just going to tell everyone, we got our first call in on the Church Planner podcast message line. I would have played the beginning part of it. We're going to save it for our next episode, mainly because um, I don't have time to edit it in. But uh, that number... You want to you want to plug this thing into your phone so you can call us and leave us messages and answer for us what your favorite pair of underoos is, just like uh, Ryan Roberts did from Texas, um, and and also crank call us. I mean, shoot, we like that kind of stuff. We do, and it'll probably make it in the podcast because that's the kind of guys that we are. So you know, five six two five five three zero 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 four. It's a message line, so all you got to do is call 562-553-0004 and leave us a message, and it will be making it into future episodes of the Church Planner Podcast. Uh, I it, I actually dropped the ball. I forgot it was Friday already. We record this on Friday, and um, I didn't edit it. Don't tell them our secret. Yeah, well, you know. Don't tell them the secret. There it is. There it is. So Hey, you know, we, we just got done. We're starting those uh, daily podcasts. We've gotten some feedback. Some of you guys are saying more more information faster. That's what we want. So um, we're going to do that for the month of, month of January. We're going to still continue to do our hour-long show once a week. But for the other four days, we're going to hit you with like 25-minute uh, interviews. We're currently talking to the guys over at Mars Hill. Um, want to get uh, Driscoll to weigh in. We're hoping he'll come. Ed Stetzer is already on the docket. Um, we've got a few other... Uh, guys lined up, some big names. Philip I was actually thinking about on and- Mark Driscoll, and I was thinking he might think that you know we're going to try and like Shanghai the conversation to be about either plagiarism or uh, his book, which you probably wouldn't care if we talked about his book. But uh, that that was my only fear in because they don't know us. No, they might have heard. Of no, us, I've been but they don't I've been us. talking with uh, the guys over there, and I actually know some of his guys. So, oh, do you? Okay, um, cool. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, uh, but anyways, you know what what we're talking about today is we're talking about um, the continuation of kind of the vision statement. Now, we we talked about. <coughs> excuse me, guys. I got a cold here, uh, but we. Uh, you know, church planning waits for no man or beast or virus. So we just got to keep cracking on with it. But here's the deal. Um, we talked about vision. And with vision, you have to know what God's calling you to do, what God wants to do on the ground. And you may not have that all figured out, but going into it, you have to have some idea, at least some general idea of what's going to shake down. Because if you don't, Someone else is going to come and kind of write that script for you. And it may not be 
what the Lord has been saying. I'm a firm believer that when God gathers your team, he speaks to everybody and everybody adds something to mix, a little bit like stone soup. The stone would be the gospel and whatever anyone else happens to have, their gifts, their values, their uh, some of their uh, experiences, they chuck that in the mix and that's going to make a pretty cool little church plant and stew. But what we want to talk about today is some of the core values. It's important that you're able to tell people um, some of the core values that you're going to operate by. Because if you're church planning, then chances are you've been sitting around for some time going, hey, I've been in church, I've done the whole play church thing, and I'm just not happy doing that anymore. And you've thought about things. Some things have ticked you off. Other things, you know, you're going to make your own mistakes. But but you've got some very clear ideas of what you want. You might say to yourself, hey, you know, I want to be the kind of church where people can come in and they can share things that maybe they couldn't share in in the church I was from, but but people are going to help them along on their journey, you know, um, that kind of thing. So that's kind of our topic today. Pete, out the gate, any uh, any thoughts on anything we've talked about so far or anything about that? The mission statement is so, so important to have that clarity written. Like last night, I was at a, a marketing meeting. Um, it was a mastermind group. And there was a gal uh, there who was speaking and training on doing uh, standard operating procedure manuals for your business and basically having every... That sounds fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had to go around the room afterwards, and everyone had to say what they got out of her talk. Oh, and no. it, it came to me, and I go, I think the biggest... You know, because everyone's like, oh, you know, the... You know, and they start going into like all these aspects of it, and they came around to me, and they're like, "Oh, what'd you get out of it, Pete?" And I go, "The biggest thing I got out of it is I could not believe that someone actually enjoys this crap." <laughs> oh man, that's awesome! Pete. And I was like, "I get that it needs to be done, but literally, my head is hurting after listening to this for two hours. Like, this is like mind-numbing to me." But I understood what she was talking about. I understood how it needs to be done. I just. I'm not the guy who wants to do it. I just the guy that needs to get it done. So to me, the benefit of it in having the standard operating procedure manual for every job in your organization, and I, I would actually venture to say that every church needs to have this. So yeah. it is like so clear and easy to train people on mm. what it is that they're supposed to be doing because there's constantly movement. So in a company – like right now, I'm launching two other magazines. We've got Church Planner Magazine, and I'm doing a magazine with another church planner. And um, it's not a religious magazine. I'm just doing it with a church planner. And then um, another magazine with another guy. And I realized that what you and I have done with Church Planner Magazine, we don't have it written down, but we've done it so many times now that we just know what to do. And it's like pulling yeah. teeth to get these other guys to get the stuff done that you get done that they're supposed to be doing. And it's because yeah. I don't have it written down. So to me, I'm looking at that and in context of our conversation of it being on mission, when you got a mission statement, it's written down and everyone knows this is what we're doing. I mean, it makes yeah. it so like, okay, well, this is the next step or, you know, this is what we're, we're trying to accomplish as a church. And, and you bring up such an amazing point, Pete, because here's the deal. Even once you have that vision statement and mission statement on a sheet of paper for people, don't think that, you know, even though we talked about, you know, from Habakkuk that, you know, it's got to be clear, you know, you got to write it down. It has to, they have to be able to run with it. It has to be transferable. Um, all those things that we talked about, the reality is they still need to talk it through. So in future, what I suggest to people is you take a night. And you go through the vision one night. You just talk about the vision. The vision is really simple. If you remember, vision simply means where do we want to be? So if I were given the vision statement for Refuge Long Beach, where I'm currently on assignment, I would say to raise up a team that is committed to the work of church planning so that churches are exponentially being planted in Long Beach. So it, it would be viral churches, what Ed Stetzer calls viral churches, that Churches would plant churches that plant churches that plant churches, and that they would continue to do that in Long Beach. So the vision is really easy, but you know, you could spend a whole night coming back from that first vision meeting night, coming back and saying, next week we're gonna we're gonna talk about the vision a bit more. 
And so you're answering questions and you're dis- it needs to be a discussion. You're not going to be like, hey, I'm going to, here's a 20 point sermon in puritanical style, you know, with points and subpoints and Venn diagrams and, you know, little felt people and, uh, you know, um, chalk drawings on uh, the vision statement. No, you want it to be an organic discussion so you can hear their questions, their problems, um, where they don't understand you. Um, and then the next week you come back and you do something on the mission statement. Um, and if you remember, the mission statement is, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do to accomplish, to get where we're going? If the vision is to be that kind of church, what do we have to do? Well, for me, um, my goal, and Pete, you know this, there's two things that I do. Um, I focus the church on the lost because I want them to be a church planning church. I want them to never forget that they're not there for them, right? The church exists on planet Earth for people outside of its own doors, okay? The church is a mission. The church has a mission statement. The church should be on mission. So I believe that kind of stuff really strongly. But then uh, the other thing I do is I disciple I replace myself. So all I do, I spend the core of my time, like Jesus, reproducing myself and uh, taking guys out, witnessing. Um, you know, it's quite archaic in, in today's circle. You know, nowadays guys are like sitting at a computer just on Twitter and Facebook all the time. But um, the reality is I actually still go out and talk to people. I hit the streets and I take guys with me or I meet with my guys and I, I, I develop them in, in, in leadership. Um, as the time comes for me to transfer, uh, you know, over to the team as I'm leading, leaving, um, I, you know, I sat with each of them and I said, Hey, this is the major challenge I see, um, with you. Um, it's just the, the, the major, uh, sticking point in your development. And so that's, those are the conversations that we have, you know, and, did you really, I, just I didn't one. know that. I didn't know that you did that. Yeah, I, I I meet with them every week for a few. That's the other thing. The church probably doesn't know half of you know what I do because I don't ever talk about it. A lot of what I do is boring, and a lot of what I do is pretty exciting. But I I think I'm just always I think we pretty much it. all just assume that we give you a check because you show up every once in a while. But you know that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I actually do stuff, but. Uh, you know, it's. It, I'm always funny about that. I don't like to tell people what I do, and and yet, you know, when I come down to Long Beach, I am in back to back. For those days, it's just you know, it's back to back. It's people. I'm investing in people, and that's kind of what Jesus did. I'll still do the risky stuff. I'll do the open air church. I'll go into the the gay and lesbian coffee shop and have an open mic night. I'll do all that kind of stuff. You know, I'll throw out reaches in the neighborhood, but. Um, you know, my, my, my key is developing people and, and, and so that I can leave and they can continue on. So case in point with the team I'm raising up right now, those guys are all about evangelism. That's all they want to do when I go. And when I get out of the way, that frees them up a little bit more, even though we do stuff together. I just tell them, go nuts. When I'm out of here, go nuts. And, uh, and that's, that's how it works. So, so that would be the what. You could spend a whole night, what are we going to do? But now there's this third component that we want to talk about this week called your core values. Now, your core values are going to keep you from straying from your mission statement, okay? Now, th- this is important because even though we've got the vision where we want to be, if you don't map out in your mission statement how you're going to get there, um, then you're not going to get there. But now, wait a second. Core values. If you have really good plans, right? The best plans of mice and men go to waste, according to Shakespeare and John Steinbeck. But the reality is your core values are like your undermining philosophy of how, kind of philosophically how you operate, right? Core values are almost more important than mission statements. And and if you want to think of what a core value is, it's almost like I've got these little colloquialisms or these little maxims that, uh, hey, don't stray. Don't don't let your mind, we're not talking about the magazine now, guys. We're talking about like maxims as in little sayings of wisdom, right? Little uh, turns of phrase. There are things that I repeat and I've repeated from day one with my core team that I wanted just to, to really kind of catch and uh, set fire to their mind so that they would always come back to this, right? Like when you're a kid, you have little maxims like this, rightiest, tidiest, and leftiest, Lucy, right? You want to know which way to turn the screw with the screwdriver. Your dad teaches you that, 
right? You got little things like that. You know what I'm talking about, Pete? Yeah, it wasn't my dad, though, and it wasn't until about high school that I finally learned that one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So so you got little. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me laugh, man. It hurts. It only hurts when I laugh, but it hurts. But, you know, so you got these things. So so some of the things, you know, just to, to tell you, like, here's the deal. And I'll give you an example of some of the ones um, that, that I would say. Because it on a day-to-day basis, when everything hits a fan and everything's going wrong and the what seems almost impossible and people are getting frustrated because they know what you're there to do and nothing's going right, you need to have these core values that kind of keep everybody calm keep everybody together, keep everybody looking to Jesus, keep everybody on track. And so you'll come up with your own. I mean, you know, a lot of these were just ones that that I came up with, hmm. you know, little lessons that God taught me about ministry because I got it all backwards, man. And uh, so, so before you pour your foundation cement, it's kind of like, you know, making sure that the, that the concrete is good, you know, that the mix is right, right? Two parts sand, you know, one one part, uh, you know, cement, um, you know, two parts water, whatever it is. You got to get your mix right, okay? And everything subsequent to the foundation is going to be determined by what you're pouring in your original mix. And and you can say it's like the DNA of the church. So if you if you build a mega church and you're like, you know, twenty years from here we're going to be, but from day one you've had this cracked foundation. In other words, you got this like pissed off room full of people because they're working and sweating to make like this dream happen. And then when when everybody gets in there, you know, they, they they've all been there for an hour and they're all slaving away. And then when it's time to like start the worship, they're too pissed off to worship. They're not even thinking about God because they're just. They just got all tripped up and they're mad because this didn't work and this piece of equipment broke and this person showed up late. That's a cracked foundation, man. So um, just to kind of give you a, a quick uh, uh, kind of you know way that I look at it, um, church planning setup is always like a goat rodeo. So one of the first things I used to do, I always stay calm. I stay super, super, super calm. Um, that's part of what a leader does. And and part of it is, you know, kind of like the old maxim, you know, uh, you know, you're a man. If you keep your head while others are losing, uh, there's, um, you know, the Rudyard, uh, Kipling poem there. <coughs> so no That's one's yelling, get to leadership. The, so I always, no one's yelling, get to the chopper with you. No, hit it, dude. Come on. Get to the chopper. Yeah, no, you can't do that. Okay. So, so the deal <laughs> and nobody's shouting game over, man. We're going to die. <laughs> like Bill Paxton, right? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. We have new toys, by the way. But but the, the reality, I, I can't wait till we start putting Star Wars in here, Pete. I know. I see you've constructed a new nice. lightsaber. Yeah, baby. So, but, but here's the deal. Um, for me, what I always learn to say with core teams is, hey, what would the early church do? So the sound system's broken. So you can't get the the, the live feed up. So uh, for some reason, someone you know misplaced a, a power cord. Now you're not going to have a microphone. Why in the heck do we freak out about this stuff? Honestly, um, if you can run church without a microphone, or you can't run church without a microphone, then you're doing church wrong, right? If you couldn't scrap every piece of your sound system and have everybody just huddling a little bit closer and do church, then you're doing something wrong. Because you know what? The early church seemed to be able to do it with thousands of people in one spot without any of that crap. And so my my phrase, and I know Pete would have heard it and everybody's heard it, that I say over and over because stuff frequently does and will go wrong in a church planning setup I just always say, hey, what would the early church do? They didn't have all this stuff. And then and then coming from that, I always go into only three things need to happen for this to be a success today. Number one, we hear from God. Number two, God hears from us. And number three, we hear God through each other. Mm-hmm. That's it. And people get that, and it relaxes everybody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No one's focused on the sound system anymore. No one's pissed off about, you know, who showed up late. It just doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. 
You're there to meet with God. And if you don't set that tone and you make people from the beginning feel like it's a giant show, trust me, they're going to be a bunch of pissed off people. And they'll be bad at hiding it, some of them. Some of them will be really good at hiding it, but they'll be pissed off. They won't be in a spirit of worship and you will miss out on the most important thing. And that is the presence of God in your worship service. I dig it, man. That's cool. So your core, your core values have to be there because people are going to come. People who believe, you know, like someone will smuggle their own core value and they'll be like, uh, excellence, man, has to be excellence. It is for God. It has to be, you know, has to be right. Well, yeah, you know, God should get our prime cuts, not our scraps, you know, but the core values are unchangeable. That means if I'm small or I'm, or I'm, or I'm big, um, things are going to break in big church. Is it acceptable because it's big church and there's a big crowd or somewhere that where we think it's, oh, well, you know, God's really upset because the sound system broke and, well, it's not going to be excellent. Um, I just never see that in the scripture. What I see is Jesus doesn't care about most of the crap that the Pharisees are hung up about. In fact, he'll cleanse the temple, man, if it somehow lost its way. He'll drive everybody out if it ain't about God and it ain't about prayer and it ain't about the lost anymore. He'll take the big show and all the carts and everything. He'll turn it over and he'll tell everybody, get out of here. You've made this into a den of thieves. And uh, these aren't popular words, but, I, you know, for me, I'm kind of like a steward, man. I'm like uh, Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah drags those guys out of the temple by their hair. If you ever read Nehemiah, man, they're setting up personal quarters in the temple. And uh, Nehemiah drags them out by their hair and tells them, get lost, punk. And uh, and for me, I see myself as a steward that, hey, a couple things need to happen. So I repeat these maxims. I want these things to get in the minds and in the hearts uh, of our people. Um, another one of the things people often feel guilty, and they'll say things like, oh, you know, uh, you get to learn that when you're uh, in, a, in a leadership position, people call you and, and, and you become like a confessional booth, you know. Oh, uh, Pastor, I... It's been um, six months since my last church attendance. Um, Hail Mary, uh, you know, and, and and they're confessing to you. And the reality is, you just you learn. Like bless their heart, you know, people are dogged and you know ground down by life and the pressures. And last thing they need is to come to church and feel like you're all pissed off at them because you know they didn't bring donuts on the week they're supposed to. So what I've learned to do is to make it very very easy for people to stop doing stuff. And I repeatedly say, hey, um, we care more about you than anything you can do for us. If you want to serve us, great. But if you're tired and you need a break or, you know, things go wrong, you know, we care about you. Hmm. You're more important than anything you can do for us. And if you're struggling, that means something fell down. We understand. And what that's doing, some people say, oh, well, that's creating like a margin for a lot of error and half-heartedness. Uh, the reality is what it actually does, it creates good morale. Let's people know we're a team, we're a family, and we're in this together, guys. And if, if you have a bad day and everybody has a bad day and everybody has a bad week and everybody drops a ball, you know what? I got your back, man, because I, you you know, I know you got my back. Uh, a big wake-up call came to me, Pete. Um, it, the the week that I realized, holy crap, everybody I work with in a church plant's a stinking volunteer. I don't know if I would do what all of them are doing if I weren't the pastor. You know what I'm saying? When did that happen? When did you have that, that flash forward? <laughs> that happened when I was still in Wales. Because I was the guy who was always pissed off at people, man. I learned ministry the wrong way. I start off in a mega church. And I watched the sound guy who was a technician, a left brain uh, kind of guy, getting all mad because he's anal retentive and yelling at the worship leader who's obviously a right brain person. And he's all loosey goosey and rolling in late. And, you know, I just go by what the Spirit leads me this morning. And never the twain shall meet. It's funny to me how God puts these guys in churches that are just personality wise, polar opposites. You could not get further apart. And they have to work together. If you ever notice that, the techie people and the worship people have to work together, and yet they're wired differently. And it's kind of like God putting men and women together. I believe that it is a sanctification experience in the making for both of them. God made both personality types, both sides of the brain, and both think they're right and the other one's wrong. Uh, but it's part of how you grow together. And so 
for me, you know, uh, I, I used to come into all that tension, and that was just the air I breathed, man, when I first came into megachurch. And everybody was just running ragged trying to get the show up and running. And, I, you know, I've always been kind of kicked back. So I was like, this sucks. You know, like, what's up with this? But but then I'd get all pissed off at the sound guy when he's messing with my levels. and um, Or if the sound guy forgot to record my my blessed sermon. And so now I had a less than perfect <laughs> tape library. And how will I ever get that record back, you know, of my, my the lost sermon? You know, it was my greatest ever. It's always your greatest ever. And I just realized after, you know, a number of years, A, no one's ever going to come looking for that sermon. No one cares. Um, B, by Tuesday, I forgot what I even said. That's the only reason to have that record around. And, you know, really, at the end of the day, these people were volunteering. They're not getting jack out of this, man. They're, they somehow have this small skill. They're not professionals. And they're jumping in to help serve you and to serve Jesus. And how dare we get pissed off at them? If they get it wrong, we laugh. And so for me, I laugh at everything. People know now. They don't come to me scraping and bowing. They just know I'm, I'm not going to. At the end of the day, this is what I care about. Did lost people hear the gospel? And are our people okay? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's um, I don't know, man. That takes a bit to, to process because, <laughs> well. I, that's like 21 years of conventional wisdom. <laughs> well, I, I totally get it. I mean, I totally get it because, you know, I look at our own church and, you know, we've had this conversation. We, we've got the most elaborate sound system in the world for a church our size. And yeah. stuff always happens. I mean, there's always something going on with sound or the live stream or, you know, something. And, um, and those things can really upset people. But like you said, you know, the three things, did, did we hear from God? Did God hear from us? Did we hear from God through each other? I mean, that's really what, what matters. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Pete, because like you, uh, you and I laugh about this all the time because I'll find somebody who can do something for free. And Pete being the entrepreneur and from the business world, he's like, no, 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 you know, no, because if he does stuff for free, we can't control him. <laughs> we can't fire him. Right. If he's doing it for free, um, we can't. And, and that's true. There's that dynamic with a volunteer in a church plant. You're just going to have a bunch of volunteers and you have to treat them with dignity and respect. I'm not saying if someone's your employee, you treat them like crap, but, but Pete's point is really valid that, um, you lose control over the situation when you're not paying people. And, you know, don't worry about having that problem, church planners. You're just not going to have it. Like, and that's what I'm trying to say is in business, there's accountability when there's a paycheck, right? There, there's pressure to perform. Right. Um, these people, what you have to do in a church planning situation, you have to assume that they're, they've even turned up. Like you're lucky that they're even with you. Like you just got to look around sometimes and, and not be like, you're getting in the way of my dream. You're holding me back. You know, you, you got to look at them and say, you know what? Um, God bless these people for having the faith to be here, man. Like, I don't know if I'd be here if I weren't the church planner called to this. I mean, if I were just like a housewife with three kids, would I bring my, my family to this? And, and, and so, you know, I don't speak these things ever from the front, but this is how I look at my people. I value them. The fact they're there, I want to take care of them. I don't want to burn them out. And, you know, I, sometimes I do burn people out because people will be like, I can do all this and they won't. And I'll, you know, I don't usually believe them, but sometimes I'll let them go, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, try to talk them out of it. But some people are like, no, I, I have to do everything. And okay. And I can usually anticipate they're going to burn out. But, you know, speaking but of burnout, because I, I think you bring up a good point. And I know we can't talk about it on this podcast, but we'll absolutely have to talk about like having balance in your life with everything you've got going on, especially the bivocational planner who's got a job, a yep. family, running the church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, when I, when I hear stuff like yeah. that, you know, you'll burn out. I mean, as an entrepreneur, people ask me all the time, how do you have balance in your life? 
And my response is always, I, I don't have balance. I, I believe yeah. in harmony in my life. Because for an entrepreneur, there is no such thing as balance. I mean, we are so out of whack from everyone else. It just needs to be yep. in harmony with everything I've got going on in my life. That I can manage. Yeah. But balance, forget yeah. it. It's gone. Yeah, absolutely. And and when we're talking about, you know, if you're talking about yourself as the leader, I think that needs to be one of the core values. One of the core values needs to be you're not the senior pastor. That's one of our core values. We we tell people all the time, I'm not the senior pastor. And when Charlie was there and we were flirting with the idea of uh, Charlie becoming the team leader, um, we are a team. And someone obviously leads the team, but um, but our senior pastor is Jesus. I mean, hands down, he is leading the church. So our job is to listen to him. And, and, and that's not lip service. That's literally, we pray, we seek the Lord, we talk in a team because we believe in a team, kind of like the apostles when they cast lots, um, that, that back in Acts chapter uh, one, where they said, you know, let another take his office with Judas. And of course they roll between Matthias and, uh, I can't remember the other guy now, um, was it Justice? And uh, they they end up it falls to Matthias and 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 people say well why did they do that? My only answer that I've come to over the years is that they had all been handpicked by Jesus, and I think it terrified them to think that after watching Judas we might actually have to pick we might have to pick someone, and so they cast lots going Lord you pick him right like we're not comfortable with that. And so, you know, that, that's how I interpret that casting a lot. Not, is it right? Is it wrong? I just think it showed the intention of their hearts, which was honorable. Lord, we want you to choose. And this is the only way we know how to do that right now. And, um, and so I think every church needs that core value that to be reminded to remind your people, Jesus is a senior leader here. The rest of us are servants. We're nobodies. And people get that, man. They know it. If you're being real and you're telling people you're a knucklehead, that's the other thing I do. I talk myself down a lot. Remember, I'm working my way out of a job when I plant a church, so I'm not going to be staying there. So the last thing I want to have happen is like our founder was a god, right? Um, this past Sunday, um, Pete tells me, oh, they were laughing their head off. They, they, they tell me, right? They go, oh, send this video in. And uh, tell us, you know, hey, church, you know, because I haven't been there for like three weeks. My wife had surgery, and uh, then I got sick. Then I had five days of health. Then I got really sick. And so I missed um, three weeks in a row. And, uh, you know, they're like, oh, send a video saying hi to the church, and we'll pray for you. Do they pray for me? No, they laughed at me because I was coughing on the video. Whole church, now a profound message from Peyton Jones. We were laughing because it sounded like the kid who's trying to bring the, uh, you know, the the note from the doctor. It says I'm sick. I mean, that's that's what it sounded like. You're like, hey guys, I'm not feeling too well. Cough, cough, like on cue. That's why we were laughing. Yeah, dude. Anytime I was talking, I was like throwing. uh, I was coughing, man. It was it was horrible. Like today, I was trying to talk to a church planner. We were walking down the beach and. I couldn't stop hacking and coughing, man. It was kind of like a one-sided conversation, believe it or not. I'm feeling better now, if you couldn't tell. You know, one of the uh, things that I find really interesting, uh, you know, with what you're saying with Jesus being the senior pastor and things like that, you know, one one example of a of a mega church that I'm really amazed at the senior pastor is our sending church, right? With with Bill, yeah. Um, When it comes to Anything that will uh, spread the gospel, anything that will bring glory to Jesus, he's all for it. And this is a megachurch, right? Where there's like all kinds of, uh, you know, or I should say could be all kinds of bureaucracy and, you know, let's run this up the flagpole and and see what we think. But, I mean – if it's, it, I mean, the, the, there's a core value is what I'm getting at. There's a core value of what that church is all about, and it's it's it just goes all the way through Bill and everything that he does to the point where, yeah, it's known. Like if if it's going to bring glory to God, it's probably going to yeah. get a, a a green light, a go do it. 
Absolutely. And, and that's it for him. Um, everything that's on at, written on everything is it's all about Jesus and he lives that. It's not about him. It's not about his empire. It's about Jesus and what Jesus wants. And that, that becomes character. You know, the, there are ministries that follow personality. That's one of the things I will not allow to happen. So one of our core values is team leadership. Um, so it's not a personality driven church. It starts off. I'm in the pulpit. Uh, three, two to three, um, Sundays a month. I work another guy in. Then over time it goes two out of four. So I'm in 50 50. Then over time it goes one. And, uh, eventually I won't be there at all. You know, maybe every few months I'll be there. Um, and then maybe just when I'm invited. But the whole idea of a team keeps you from burnout. Number one, you don't got to be everything. Um, but number two, uh, it, it, it's about Jesus. So you can either have a personality driven church where it's all about the dude, the personality. And when he's gone, man, people take off or it's about character and character is transferable. Personality is not your personality and your assistant's personality are completely different. Charlie and I are nothing alike. Langham and I are nothing alike. Um, you know, we're all individual and unique, like a snowflake. But how, how the do, reality how you, is that uh, how, how do you divvy up like the responsibilities of things that need to be done? Oh, that's that's easy. That's really easy. Um, they do what you if, say. And, if it and that's that's it. No, it's like if there's something kind of business like, I you know both guys I'm serving with are engineers. Um, you know on on the elder team. Um, the the other guys are ex cons on our on our interns. They're all ex cons, but. You know, those guys, the engineers, I give them all the respectable things. So I'm like, hey, can you handle facilities and legalese? And, uh, you know, can you uh, what we call official duty? So any officials, you don't want a guy like me talking to officials, right? Um, I look like a thug. I have two big scars on my face. Um, I'm bald. Um, I have weird facial hair. I wear dickies a lot. I just I'm not the dude that you want. Um, going and talking to either city officials or um, principals or anyone we got to meet with. So, um, so I, I'm not the face, you know, um, I'm kind of behind the scenes when it comes to officials. They don't even know I exist. Um, recently it was funny cause uh, Charlie's gone off to plan another church and I had to call uh, uh, one of the facilities people and they, they didn't want to talk to me. They're like, no, we, we, we want to talk to Charlie. And, you know, I can. Yeah, I did tell them I'm actually the pastor. And uh, <laughs> what they say? They're like, no, we want to talk to him. They, they didn't. Care. Um, they well, she did end up him. talking to me. Okay. Yeah, I told her. You know, it's my name on the documents and stuff. So, um, but she was like, oh, okay, you know. But uh, in future, we need one person. I said, yeah, I'm not going to be that guy. I'll give you another name. So I gave Langham's name. So that's how I divvy it up, you know. And and it's different for everybody, but. But going back to this, here's the thing. Personality is not transferable, but but character is. So, you know, I can have a guy like Mike Bonomo. I'm actually not like Mike Bonomo, but Mike Bonomo and I have a lot in common. Ruben, uh, Ruben's one of our interns, um, saving the back of a cop car, always talks about, you know, back when I was at summer camp, and he's always meeting him back when he was in prison. Um, or he's on total vacation. Like, That's his other line. Yeah, or I was on, uh, you know. My European backpacking trip, you know, um, but but Ruben, man, it's like he and I personality wise are are night and day apart. But what I've tried to transfer into these guys is character um, to make sure that character is transferable. That as Paul says, what you've seen uh, and heard in me, these things do and put into practice. Paul wanted them, you know, you have heard my manner of life, imitate these things or imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. Paul was transferring not his personality, but his character. We see the difference in personality between Paul and Timothy and Timothy and Titus. Um, These guys were nothing alike, and I don't have time to go into that. But the character is what Paul was concerned about with leadership, and it's the character that he's constantly telling them to uh, observe to keep watch on and to imitate in himself. And so this all goes back to your core values. Those are your core values. Um, and uh, some, some of my other core values, 
um, would be things like uh, multiplication church planting. So um, I always say kingdom, not empire. So if there's a church down the road like Hector Mora, you know, planting Vision Long Beach, um, we give a lot of our time and we're actually, uh, you know, an energy when we're doing evangelism training to, to his group. And so, you know, what do you guys want to do, you know, um, and then uh, help train up some of his core team. <clears throat> We're not the church that's out for ourselves or exists for ourselves. Um, the the other thing is that, uh, you know, like we'll be, our church will be buying him a recording device so that they can record all their messages, you know. We want to see church planning spreading out. We will support um, other churches in our area that are penetrating with the gospel. And that's a core value of ours is that it's not about Refuge Long Beach. I tell people that all the time. It's not about us. It's not about our little empire here. Who gives a rip uh, about Refuge Long Beach? What matters is Christ. And that goes back to what Whitfield said. We said, let the name, they're like, oh man, Wesley has a, a whole following. What will you leave behind? They asked George Whitfield. Uh, and he said, let the name of Whitfield perish. Let only the name of Christ remain. Another one of our core values would be uh, the no crazy rule. Mm. Right? Do you know that one, Pete? I've the heard no you talk rule. about it because we've got the no crazy rule as far as like spiritual gifts in the <laughs> sanctuary. So, Yeah, like we need the no crazy rule, right? Because we got crazy people. So, um, you know, when you're doing a, a, a church plant – you will get people that go, all right, this is my chance to bring in, and you just feel in that banner waving, um, you know, and I'm not saying waving banners, like I'm not even being PC here. Like one of the cool things about my journey is I've served with uh, Pentecostals, Charismatics. That's not my camp, but, I, you know, I, I've experienced things now that weren't my thing, you know, but I was like, okay, I can kind of, you know, I could kind of see why you like that. Like, I hate dancing. Like, you know, I think it's lame. But, uh, you know, you seem like the kind of person that, you know, like there's this lady in our church, she's, she's a dancer. And she loved to dance when she worshiped. And I'm like, well, you know, David kind of liked that. So even though I think it's a bit weird, um, I can see why you would dig that. But did I let it happen on Sunday? No. And it's because our core value overrode everything. So people come in and go, you don't let people dance? And I'd be like, no. And they're like, why not? And I'd be like, well, okay. And i just go to, I, and I would laugh. Everything should be done with humor, right? Don't take yourself so seriously. Do, don't be do so you actually repeat to them, Learn. we have a no crazies rule? Yes, I do, because it's funny. And I always use humor to lighten a situation that's tense. I always say, well, we got this thing called the no crazy rule. And it usually makes them laugh, you know, unless they're all right. You know, they got their bee in a bonnet or like the British say, you know, he's got a cob on. And, uh, you know, the, the, usually, you know, it, 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 they just laugh like, what's that? And I said, well, you know how in Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says, hey, tongues, we got to talk about it. Everybody knows that tongues is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And I dig the fact that you're operating the gifts, but... Non-believers are coming in, you're doing it wrong, because non-believers are coming in, they're listening to you say all this weird babble all over the place, and they think you're crazy. They think you're a bunch of babbling lunatics. So don't do it unless there's an interpreter, A, and B, only one or at the most two or three of you share something during the service, a word of prophecy or a tongue or an interpretation of tongue. Let's keep it from going off the rails. And so I just taught through that with, with the core team. I said, hey, guys, this is what the no crazy – I didn't make this up. Um, I've just given it a, a really blunt name. But that, that's what Paul's laying down. He's laying down the no crazy rule. And so here it is. It's kind of like this. If you're in the field and you need a litmus test, here's the litmus test. Um, does it look crazy to outsiders? Does it make us look crazy to outsiders? Then Paul says, yeah, don't do it. Hmm. And that's the rule. So I, I'm not even making, I don't even get into the arguments. I'm like, oh, dancing? Oh, that's cool. Oh, waving banners of like lions? Always lions and eagles. Oh, that's cool. 
Like, I don't even argue that stuff with people because for me, it's not my thing, but it is their thing. Maybe that means something subjectively to them. Um, and I don't want to have an objective argument about whether it's right or wrong. There were banners in the scripture. God said, I'm your banner. I mean, almost every weird thing that we would consider weird that people do has some kind of uh, basis somewhere uh, in scripture. And somewhere in the history of the world or the church at one time or another, it was culturally relevant and it was normal. For example, um, open air preaching. There was a society in which Whitfield and Wesley lived where standing out in the marketplace and shouting, if you've ever been to the Renaissance Fair, was quite normal. Um, that was the only way to market and the only way to advertise things. So to do that as a gospel preacher, it wasn't just hardcore. It was the chosen methodology of the day. Um, today, our current um, sermonizing uh, tends to, the only place we really have that nowadays is um, stand-up comedy. That's, that's the only place, or a political speech. Um, even most classrooms today are more discussion-based, but we still have a, con- uh, a cultural context in which this is normal. I believe we're moving away, but I don't think we'll ever move to conversational comedy or conversational political speeches. So there will probably be always proclamation uh, preaching um, somewhere relevant in the culture. But um, to go up and stand in the park and start preaching at a bunch of families that their kids are trying to play, that would be kind of weird. But that was quite normal a couple hundred years ago to do that in the marketplace. It'd be, I'd be, get kicked out of the mall if I did it today. But it was quite normal for then. And I still do. Don't get me wrong. I still open air preach, uh, depending on where I am. I did it for uh, over a year in Bixby Park every Sunday morning. And, uh, and, and I did it uh, every weekend in Wales for almost a year. Um, and the thing about open air preaching is it 90% of the people think you're nuts. And... 10% of the people, the down and outs, the addicts, the ex-cons, the gang members, all the ones that typical medical, middle-class churches do not reach, the cultists, um, they stop and listen, and they get saved. So I still have a place in my heart for it, but I just know I have to write off 90% of society when I do it, if that you know, makes sense. But yeah. the no crazy rules, like, I was, yeah, I was sorry, just gonna go ahead, add, man. Yeah, no, we'll come back to the no crazy rule. Yeah, my... Um, as you know, I'm on the board of directors for uh, apologetics.com and I was at one of their their meetings, you know, several months ago and being apologists, they're um they're obviously into the arguments into uh not not the argument for the sake of the argument. I don't mean like, you know, the debate, but into the conversation. So they love having conversations yeah. with people and dialoguing back and yeah. forth about um you know, whatever topic is at hand, whatever topics before them. And um, I thought it was really interesting, too, because the uh, the CEO, he makes this comment. He goes, you know, I think we're really uh, doing a disservice when we do, you know, the open air preaching was what he was talking about. And I remember I, I had to stop him and I go, wait a second here. Um you're looking at this from a middle-class uh, viewpoint of, you know, you're, you're relatively wealthy. I mean, in the world of the, in the eyes of the world, he's not wealthy, you know, in America's sense, right? But he does have his own home, yeah. right? Um, he's got a, a a job that pays him uh, enough for him to live and support his family. And so the idea of open air preaching or anything remotely close to that, he thought was a disservice to the gospel. And yeah. I just remember having a conversation with him. I go, first of all, I think you're looking at things incorrectly. One, uh-huh. I think you're looking at it from the yep. standpoint that God needs you because, you know, apparently you have to have these conversations with people one on one, and that's just not the case. God doesn't need you at all, God chooses to use you. Which is a totally different ball game. Yeah. So um, we can point out, you know, I don't even know how many examples uh, throughout all of history of open air preaching of, uh, you know, people doing stuff that God has used to bring others to Him. And I remember I called you one day. I called you 
when I was driving on the road because I was at a, a major intersection and they had people on four corners, you know, with the big signs, turn or burn, or, or I don't, actually, I don't even know if they were that in the, your face. I think it might've been, uh, yeah. you know, Jesus loves you or something like that. Or, you know, if you die tonight, will you go to hell or stuff like that? And I remember I called you cause I was like, I'm looking at this and I am totally repelled by it. Like the message does not yeah. fit me as a market. We would yeah. say in marketing, right? The, yeah. the message is not fit in this market. But at the same time, I'm looking at it going, it's also better than what I'm doing, which is nothing. I'm driving on the road. At least these guys are on the corner doing something. I'm not doing anything. You know, it's so funny that you say that because God taught me a lesson with that years ago. I'm inclined to feel the same. When I see that, I'm like, oh, no, you guys, what are you doing? Right, you know? right. Like, go into a bar and sit down and shoot, man, if you got to order a Shirley Temple, if you can't handle a beer, you know, just like go talk to people, man. Like, you know, that that's what people just be friendly and go talk to somebody. Sit next to someone at a bar and talk. But, you know, that that's me, right? Years ago, and I think I told this story before on the podcast, but um, there was a, a girl back when I was a youth pastor. She was uh, being forced by her parents to get an abortion. Mm. She refused. She had been newly converted, and she was pregnant, and uh, she had um, not wanted to do it. And her best friend was a Christian. Uh, they went to our church. And uh, funny enough, th- those of you guys that know um, Chad Williams, um, Seal of God, Um, It was his parents and his sister who uh, called me and uh, they said, oh, you know, because he he used to be in my youth group. And um, they they called up and the the mom, you know, Chad's mom was hysterical and upset. And she was like, they're going to make her get it. And I could barely understand her through the tears. This woman had a heart of gold, loved people. And so she said, we're just praying here and praying. And she's like, you know, so I said, look, give me the address. I'll be right down. So. You know, back in those days, man, you had to get the Thomas Guide out. Some of you guys don't even know what that is. You know, you had to like look it up. You know, in the city maps, that's pre-map quest. Wow, Google it, dude. I'm telling you. So, (coughs) so I go down there, and um, you know, uh, show up, and um, and she comes up to the car. The mom, uh, not of the girl. You know, the family is in the house that's forcing the girl to get the abortion. But the the mom. Uh, of the best friend, kid that's in my youth group, um, she, the mom comes up and she's hysterical now. I'm like, oh, it must have gotten worse, you know. And uh, she comes up and says, Peyton, Peyton, God is amazing, God is amazing. And I, I, I'm i going, you know, with, with some little bit shell-shocked and, you know, kind of taken back. Just slow down, slow down, what's going on? And uh, she said, and she kept saying something about megaphone. And when she could slow down, like she literally had to sit down. She was almost hyperventilating. Like she was just praising God and um, she didn't normally act like that. And so I was like, uh, I found out this story. It was some, some, she was sitting there saying, Lord, if only I could, you know, uh, get a message to her of encouragement um, because her parents won't let me talk to her. Lord, if only I had a microphone or a megaphone. Um, And she said less than a minute, like no kidding. Some dude hops over the wall. With a megaphone. And he's been standing on Beach Boulevard in Edinger, right where now our church is. We used to not be there. And <coughs> hops the wall and says, um, uh, does anyone here need this megaphone? <laughs> and she's like, I do. I just prayed for it. And he's like, oh, that's why. Well, he was one of these quote unquote nuts, right? Who was out on the street corner with a megaphone yelling at cars to repent and get right with God. He said, that's what he told him he had been doing. He's like, yeah, I was out there. And then God just said, walk this way. So I walked this way. And then God said, go behind that supermarket. So I went behind that supermarket. And then God said, hop over this wall. And I hopped over that wall. I walked through the neighborhood. God said, hop over this wall. And I hopped over that wall. And it brought me into this cul-de-sac. No joke, dude. And I'll tell you why. Because the guy... The, the father in the house who was making his daughter get an abortion called the cops. That's why he took off. After she used his megaphone to say, don't give up and remember the Lord and all that stuff. He goes, well, I have to go now. And he grabs his microphone. He hops over the wall. So the cops show up going, who's got the microphone? And they come to me because I'm the only male there. You got you the guy with the microphone uh, or megaphone? 
no, no, sir. I just got here. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the pastors. I, I know the girl inside. She's come to our youth group and, uh, uh you're a liar. Um, you're going to jail. I'm just telling you right now, you're going to jail for disturbing the peace. Um, you're not allowed to, to yell on my, uh, ma- uh megaphones in, in neighborhoods. And I said, sir, I, I look, I, I'm not lying to you. I'm a gospel minister. And then I said, do you believe in God? And the cop went, what? And he flips out on me. I almost went to jail just for asking that. And uh, a Christian cop ends up coming. But anyways, all this to say, I didn't see the guy with the megaphone. He was there and he was gone. Now, I think it weird on you, but it could have been an angel. But you know what? Just bottom line, the only way I know to interpret that is there was some dude out on the corner shouting at cars with a megaphone. Guy I would have thought was a nut. And that dude heard from God. There's another dude who's down in downtown Huntington. By the way, Everybody what happened, hits downtown Huntington what Beach. What happened with the girl? Did she go through with the abortion? She did, sadly. <coughs> <coughs> but uh, that family, um, funny enough, uh, the gospel did start moving through that family. And uh, the brother was the next one to get saved. I got a restraining order from the family just because of my involvement. I, I didn't do anything. I just got there after the action. But ironically, I moved in uh, to that neighborhood, not realizing the geography of the neighborhood. Um, my house was on the other side of the last wall that that guy hopped on, hopped over. And I remember thinking, oh, crap. You know, one day I was in my house and I looked and I, I, I recognized when I peeked over the wall Oh my gosh, that's their house. I see their house every day. And I realized I was in violation of uh, the restraining order. But it turns out, you know, the brother started coming over to my house. He got saved. Um, <laughs> gospel started moving through the family. So it's a funny story. But anyways, you know, the, the thing for me is that the reason I am a, a large believer in supernatural stuff is because of these experiences, man. I... I wasn't the guy who was like in a Pentecostal or charismatic church. It's just when you're doing frontline stuff, the Holy Spirit turns up and does it. And so that dude, all I'm saying, he was a frontline dude. He heard from God. Now, I wouldn't have chosen his way to do it. Um, But out there, you know, some of those guys, I was going to say, the guy on downtown Huntington, man, he, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the guy, he mumbles. Uh, He's right on PCH and uh, Main Street, Huntington. And he stands there, he's super tan because he stands out in the sun. And he's like in his 50s, late 50s, maybe early 60s. And he's real quiet, real thin. And he says, the Lord loves you and you need to repent and blah, blah, blah. And then whenever I come up, without missing a beat, he says, Lord bless you, brother. Keep up the good work. Keep up your gospel work. Every time. And I'm like, man, you know, that guy, I would have thought he was a nut. I'm a psych nurse. I think, oh, that guy's totally crazy. Absolute nutcase. But uh, that's what he does. But, you know, before we close, just going back to the the no crazy rule. Um, you know, it, it, people are going to bring all kinds of crazy ideas in. And you need to be able to say it in a way that's not offensive, nor does it you know, kind of uh, whiz on their electric fence. You know, they might be all supercharged about this is my electric fence. And you don't want to just wee all over it, you know. That that stinks and, you know, it creates more of a mess than it should and electrocutes everybody. Just be cool about it. Just say, well, you know, I got this principle and I really think it violates the no crazy rule that Paul lays down. You know, it was tongues there, but I think it applies to just about anything. If you want to you know, run around the room and do cartwheels or, you know, have giant flags and banners and you all march and you got maps of the world on them and, you know, you spread them on the ground and you pray and cry over them. I, I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's, I mean, that's cool. If you love the world that much, you want to pray and cry over a map of it. That's, that's really cool. But I just don't think that's a place for it. And, and what I actually did, and this is going to sound strange, um, but I had a night because I valued the people, man, that came from the Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds. Um, I'm not a cessationist, but my view has always been all of us ought to get together and make a super church. That's what I feel my church was. But for some of those who came from those backgrounds where they did that stuff, um, we'd have one night and I'd say, look, one night a month, we're going to have an afterglow. And I'll tell you what, that's not open to the public. That's just for us. And you guys can go nuts. You can do whatever you want. Because that violation that Paul gives is for lost people, and we're a mission church. Um, but that night, if you want to dance, dance. If you want to bring a banner and wave it around, go for it, man. 
if you want to bring your guitar and join in, you do whatever in the heck you want. And I got to be honest, those nights were cool. Where did you do I that? I know at? they sound that- like they're going to be weird. Was that in Wales? We do it in the same building we met at. We just do it in the night. And those meetings would go on for three, four hours. And they were they were something, man. Spirit would move. <laughs> and it was just a night of freedom. And I just gave that as kind of like a gift to my people. And I would have like staunch reformed people who start off with us as cessationists. But it's really hard when your kid gets healed, um, you know, of, of, you know, testicular deformity or something, you know, like I, that was actually one case. Um, but when your kid gets healed of something or you get healed of something, it's really hard to maintain that position. Um, and, and, and it was all done decently and in order and quietly. I, like I said, I'm not a Pentecostal charismatic. Um, I'm more of a word-based guy, but, uh, but I've seen these things. And so I just felt like, you know, God bless you guys for leaving your pets at the door and not making anything but Jesus the main thing and making these sacrifices. Because I know that's your chosen means of worship. And you guys have left that behind to reach the lost. You guys are people I respect and I honor. And if you need to kick out the jams once a month, I'll let you kick out the jams. No problem. Cool. I that's dig how it. we do. So what are we going to be talking <laughs> about next week? Are we moving on from the subject or are we uh, sticking around? Well, you know, we can talk about a, a couple of different things. I mean, really what we need to go on to is our second night, which uh, remember we had those three dates. We had the first date, which was your vision night. And this is still a part of that. We never got um, to the then second we or had, the third night. Wow. Well, we talked about what they were, but I think we need to break them down a bit and yeah. talk about them because the second and third nights are, you know, um, they're not the second and third night on your calendar. They're just the second and third dates to remember uh, in building a core team. And so the second night was your core team commitment cutoff. Your third uh, date on the calendar is your launch. And that's not necessarily a night. But, uh, but that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, we could still get on talking about, um, you know, your, uh, uh, you know, the pets and, you know, what you do and missional versus attractional. I mean, we might want to revisit some of that, but that stuff comes up all the time. So, um, it, you know, it doesn't matter. But uh, just can I close out with a story real quick? Because, you know, there was a, uh, you know, one one of the biggest things is in your vision statement, what do you want to be? Where do you see yourself 20 years from now? Well, for us, we saw ourselves as a church that uh, was going to keep planting churches. And so we all sat around coffee tables. Many of you know the story about how we start out of a Starbucks and uh, our size quickly became an issue because we could only fit about 120 people. Um, we had eight tables. Um, or sorry, we had 12 tables, and we could. our ideal size was eight at a table. We ended up fitting 10 at a table, and we filled that room. And we had over 120 at one stage because we had people standing up and we had people overflowing. So, um, And I can remember a, a friend of mine and a fellow minister uh, walked through the main uh, meeting room that we use for our services. And in an effort to help us maximize, he kind of scanned the perimeter and he started asking, you know, questions about placement of our worship team, the angle of the room, the arrangement of the chairs, where the preacher should stand. <coughs> and that was good to reevaluate that. But then he said, I bet you could fit three times as many people in here if you eliminated these coffee table uh, tables and chairs and you put rows up. You could turn the whole room <coughs> to that four, uh, to that far corner over there and get more people in. And I was just quiet. And he turned to me and said, that's the goal, right? To get as many people in as you can. I just looked at him and said, no, it's never been our goal here. And, you know, th- that was our core principles. We interact with each other. And it didn't matter to me how many people. You know, your core values stay your core values, whether you're big or small. They never change. They're, they're the philosophy uh, by which you operate. And for us, if, like I said earlier, that there's three things got to happen. We got to hear from God. God's got to hear from us. And we got to hear God through each other. That third part would disappear if we compromised on that. And so our core values helped us uh, accomplish our mission, which helped us reach our vision, if that makes sense. It does. I dig it, man. 
Well, hey, it's not going to be long now, Pete, till uh, people are going to see us in Costa Mesa at Centralized, eh? January 23rd, 24th, 25th. I don't know why we give them free advertising on our podcast. Probably because we're going to be there. We're like, come on. Come on, guys. We dig those, dude, man. Yeah, we are going to be there, huh? Yeah. We're, we're there. speaking there. We're there. We're still I'm holding speaking out for Winnebago. another big conference coming up. Ah, uh, but they hey, dude, they can I'll wait. Tell you what they they can wait. They can wait. <laughs> <laughs> they can wait. Here's the deal. <laughs> Forever. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to speak at conferences these days, and uh, uh, centralize. All I can say is um, Lance Ford and Brad Briscoe. We just connected with those two dudes. Those are brothers from another mother, and uh, we. I think every podcast we laugh about them before we start, don't we? We do. Just we definitely we dig those dudes. We definitely did today because I, I played a sound effect and <laughs> you're like, you cannot use that on the podcast, but it's something that Lance and Brad would, would have enjoyed, no doubt. Yeah. It's an inside joke, isn't it? So, it is. It's so anyways, inside, guys, we can't even been, share it. It's inside, inside. So it's deep in our hearts and souls. But uh, guys, thanks for flying with us. Thanks for jumping with us. If you want to go on to the Church Planner Magazine uh, Facebook page, you will see the video we've been talking about, Jump School. We're still raising funds for that. Um, Through the end of the year, you can donate at newbreedcp.org. You'll see a button there. It's gold and bright and says, Give to New Breed. That's our donate button. You can go there. You can give there. You can write a note, say, hey, this is for the Jump School film. You can watch the first episode. We're wrapping it up in post-production, but we need money because we've got to pay the director. He's a fellow church planner. He's giving it to us dirt cheap, but he does got to pay and need his bills. And it'll take him about a month to get uh, the other episodes done, maybe more. So he's given us a bucket bottom price, but we need you guys to get, the re- get us there the rest of the way. We don't charge for anything we do. And so we are relying entirely upon church planners to fund the work of church planning. If you've benefit and been blessed by this ministry, we ain't try to, trying to guilt you in anything because you may not have any money. But if you do and you want this for your core team, we will include, if you give to it, we'll include your name in the credits and you will be a part of church planner history. So it's called Jump School and it involves you <coughs> and we need your help. And a Winnebago. And little people in ninja costumes. And remember, leave us a message on our voicemail line, 562-553-0004. And tell us your favorite underoos, man. Church planner underoos. We might just make them, market them, and bring them back. Hey, did you um, did you do the closeout line? If you want to go or if you want to... No, I'm doing it now. Oh, do it! This is Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you, if you want to reach ones nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. (laughs) 